Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. Episode number 24, OSHA and Safety. Fred Dunnier joins me today in our studio as co-host, SCORE mentor, and our audio engineer. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Dennis. Our guest today is Laurel Ferguson. Laurel, welcome to Been There, Done That. Thank you so much. Laurel Ferguson graduated Rochester Institute of Technology with a BS in Occupational Safety, an MS in Environmental Health and Safety, and a degree certificate in Crisis and Disaster Planning. Laurel has obtained certifications of CSP Certified Safety Professional and CHMM Certified Hazard Materials Manager, and she has over 35 years of experience working with Eastman Kodak Company in the Health Safety Environmental Division. She works for Paychecks in Safety and Loss Control. Again, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Laurel, let's start with uh, just talking about what OSHA is, and uh, if you could tell me about OSHA and safety and what OSHA is all about. OSHA is a government agency that oversees the safety and health requirements that companies have to meet in order to comply with regulations. Just like you have taxes, just like you have environmental and disposal regulations, there are very specific safety regulations that OSHA enforces. And they have different divisions. They have an outreach division, which goes out into small businesses and advises them on the regulations that those specific businesses have to meet. Very similar to an, uh, an OSHA or a safety consultant would do if you wanted to pay them instead of OSHA. Um, they also have an enforcement division where if something goes wrong, they're going to come in and they're going to do an inspection. Or if they drive by and they see you doing something wrong, they're going to stop and they're going to do an inspection. And just like a police officer that sees a crime in progress where you can get arrested or you can get cited or fined for your activities, so can OSHA fine your company for a violation of the regulations. And what does an employer need to know about OSHA? Well, Primarily that OSHA applies to every company that's out there. There really isn't a company that is in business that doesn't have at least one OSHA regulation that applies to them. Emergency action, for example. You know, everyone has to know how to get out of the building in an emergency and where they're supposed to go once they're out of the building so that we can make sure that everyone is out safely and that way we don't have to send the fire department into the burning building to look for someone. That is one of the primary regulations that applies to everyone. But there are many other regulations that apply unilaterally across the board. What would an employee need to know about OSHA? OSHA is out there primarily to protect their health and safety and make sure that the company that they work for is doing things properly. You know, if you work on a piece of equipment or machinery, it has to have very specific guards to protect you from getting your fingers cut off, for example. If you work with chemicals, there has to be specific information available to you on what the hazards of those chemicals are and how to obtain that information at, your co at a company level. So there's many things that OSHA does to protect the employees, and that's their primary goal, to make sure that everyone goes home at the end of the workday in as good or better condition than they came to work that morning. 
How does Paychex, primarily known as a uh, payroll company, fit in with OSHA compliance? Well, there are many, just like with OSHA and other governmental agencies, there are many divisions within OSHA. You can subscribe to our payroll division. You can subscribe to our handbooks division, where we will give you an HR-related handbook for your company. You can subscribe to an entire HR services package. And as part of that HR services package that goes through COBRA and SUI and 401k and hiring and firing and all of those health and benefits and all of those other HR services that companies have to deal with, with that package comes a safety service, which means you would get me or one of my colleagues as your safety consultant so that we can assist you in compliance with the regulations that apply to your business. What do you see as some of the, the biggest examples of a problem that a company may face as it relates to OSHA? Is there a certain behavior that tends to show up more often than other behaviors? Well, there are, there are several regulations, again, that apply to most companies across the board. For example, if you have an injury to one of your employees, there's a specific process that OSHA makes you go through to document the circumstances of that, in, of that injury or that incident. And then depending on how many employees you have under your company would depend on other regulations that apply. Um, again, emergency action applies to everyone. Hazard communications, if you have chemicals, applies to everyone. Um, if you don't have chemicals, then obviously it doesn't apply to you. Electrical safety, you know, if you have a, a building that you work in and the electrical service panel box is in your section of the building, then you have, then that service panel box has to have a cover, the cover has to stay closed, you know, you can't store stuff in front of the panel box. You know, things like that that OSHA looks for when they walk through or do an inspection of, of your facility, those are the things that if they're wrong, they're going to cite you for. Does a company pay when OSHA comes to inspect? No, they should never be paying OSHA under any circumstances. OSHA is a governmental agency that is a service provided uh, for the health and safety of the employees or in terms of their outreach as a community service for that geographical area. Can you give me an example? Let's take oh, maybe a medical client and give me an example of a typical program uh, that you would provide for a medical client. Well, for medical clients, there are five or six programs that almost always apply across the board. Again, uh, access uh, or accident investigation, for example, and emergency action always apply. But in most medical areas, you have exposure to human blood or body fluid. So then you have to have a bloodborne pathogens program, which means you have to have training, you have to have very specific written documentation to comply with that type of, of exposure. Uh, you've got to have some way of dealing with your medical waste. So there's a specific program for that. Again, chemicals that you have, uh, personal protective equipment, the gloves, the masks, the safety glasses, or the face shields that you wear are all part of a standard medical practice. Then from there, depending on what risks and exposures in addition to those standard programs that you have would depend on what else needs to be in your manual. You know, do you have oxygen cylinders? or other compressed gases? Do you live in a geographic area where you're required to have a crisis and disaster plan? Um, do you have an eyewash station? Do you use lasers or x-ray equipment? So, you know, those are questions that we would need to ask to specifically make a program 
that is customized to that business. And then from there, you may also have state regulations that apply. Regarding bloodborne pathogens, is that what they refer to as universal precautions? Yes, it is. But there's also additional items that would need to be brought into compliance for a company that has that type of exposure. Okay, let's take a different kind of company for a moment, uh, maybe a manufacturing shop. And can you provide me with an example of a typical program for them? Sure. Again, accident investigation, emergency action are your basics. Hazard communication for chemicals. If you have more than 10 employees on your payroll, you're likely subjected to OSHA record keeping requirements, which is in addition to the accident investigation program that you have to have. And then again, your electrical and your hazard communication for your chemicals. But then you have specific personal protective equipment that your, that your employees may have to wear. Hearing protection, respirator uh, respiratory protection, eye wash stations. Then you may have chemical exposures. Again, your hazard communication, but also flammable liquids, compressed gases, hazardous wastes, or lead safety. Um, if you work at height, you might have a fall protection regulation that you have to comply with. Or if you go up in an aerial lift or a scissors lift or on a scaffolding system, or if you work on ladders, you'll have to have programs for those. Heavy equipment or machinery, you know, lockout, tagout, uh, machine guarding, cranes or hoists, or forklifts. If you have a forklift, you have to have a license to drive the forklift. Um, then there's special items, confined space entry, lasers, welding, and again, your state-specific regulations. You mentioned over 10 employees. What about less than 10 employees? Does that mean you don't have to pay attention to any of this? There are regulations that are size-dependent, but most of the regulations apply to you if you have that exposure. Again, for example, a forklift. If you don't have one, you don't have to comply with the regulation. But if you do have one, then you must comply. It doesn't matter the size of your company. But there are a couple of regulations that, do, that, that are size dependent for your company. So if you have 10 or more employees, there are two or three regulations that would then kick in, again, if you have that type of exposure. Can you tell me more about um, documentation requirements that OSHA has? There are very specific forms and requirements that OSHA has for documentation. For example, uh, personal protective equipment. If you require your employees to wear personal protective equipment, you must document what protective equipment you have and why you need it. If you have chemicals, you must have what we call safety data sheets for each one of those chemicals and information available to your employees on the hazards of those chemicals. If you have more than 10 employees, then you have to have an emergency action plan that is in writing that specifically designates all the responsibilities. Now, again, going back to our previous question, if you have fewer than 10 employees, you still have to have a plan. You just don't have to write it down. MSDS, oh, is that material data safety sheets? Is that correct? Right, and they're now called safety data sheets under the change for the regulation. Okay, so if you have different chemicals in your business, you have to have like a binder and a different sheet for each one and, and what to do in case there's a problem with that chemical you get in your eyes. or Is that correct? Or you swallow it? Or... That is correct. And employees have the right to know about the hazards of the chemicals that they work with. So the safety data sheets that a company is required to keep, whether hard copy or, or in a file electronically, then that information is always available to those employees who want to learn more about the hazards or if they have a chemical spill or if they get overexposed to this material, then they know what to do. And do you find that employees actually look at them? 
Actually, yes. I, I get calls from many of my clients' employees that have questions on the pH of a material, how to handle it, what protective equipment they need. Absolutely. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> Tell me more about safety training requirements that, that OSHA has. Again, very much like their documentation requirements, many regulations have very specific OSHA requirements for training. Uh, emergency action, for example. You have to know where your exit doors are. You have to understand where you're supposed to go once you're out of the building so that, again, we can account for you. Uh, for forklift training, you have to have a license to drive a forklift, just like you have to have a license to drive your car on the road. Um, and there are very specific requirements that you have to go through to get that license. And the training that OSHA requires that you go through is part of that information to keep everyone safe so that if you have to use a respirator, you know how to do it properly. If you have to put hearing protection in your ears, you know how to do it properly so that you can protect yourself from the hazards that you have potential exposure to. This brings back a lot of memories. I had a, uh, a durable medical equipment company, and I remember going through a lot of this stuff. So that's, uh, that's why I'm familiar with uh, the safety uh, sheets and those kinds of things. What about state-specific uh, requirements? Yeah, I know some states have their own regulations. You know, How does a company deal with that? Well, you have to understand the requirements of not just the federal government, but also each state that you work in. And in some cases, it's down to the county or the city level. Um, for example, California has a regulation that applies to every company that has premises or location in the state of California. It's called the IIPP, or the Injury Illness Prevention Plan. Uh, New Hampshire, for example, has a requirement that if you have more than 15 employees on your payroll, you have to have a safety committee. So again, it's not just the federal regulations that a safety consultant has to advise a company on, it's also their state requirements. So there are very specific things that some states regulate more stringently than others. So what happens if, as a business, I, I don't follow the regulations? What are my risks? Well, if somebody gets hurt, then believe me, OSHA is probably going to find out about it because there are requirements for, for example, reporting accidents and injuries. If you send someone to the hospital, then the, that medical provider will likely, they may have to, call OSHA. Very similar to if you're shot by, by a gun, um, the medical professional has to notify the police. So they have reporting requirements for accidental injuries that are very serious in nature. So if that's the case, then OSHA is going to find out about it and they're going to come in and they're going to do an inspection. If you have an employee that does not feel safe in the workplace, again, it's their right to be able to call OSHA and OSHA will contact that company to say, okay, we have a, an allegation here. Tell me what's going on. Or if the allegation is serious enough, OSHA will do, come and knock on your door. And the question that I have for all of my clients who don't think that they need a safety program is, if OSHA were knock on your door tomorrow, would you feel confident that you could pass an inspection without any citations or violations? So let's look at some an example like uh, like BP with the Deepwater Horizon, I believe it was called. Does OSHA monitor oil rigs out in the middle of the ocean as well? Well, there's a division of OSHA that does that. There's a division of OSHA that deals with farms and agriculture. There's a division of OSHA that deals with wharfs and, and, and longshoring. There's a division of OSHA that deals with general industry, one for construction activities. Again, there's different 
sections of OSHA that deal with different occupations. Does having a safety program affect my bottom line? Oh, absolutely it does. If you don't do things properly, again, you are uh, subjected to the potential for OSHA fines and violations. But also, if you look at the injury costs of a regulation or an injury, if you have someone that goes to an urgent care and they need three stitches, that urgent care bill for your company is going to be about 800 to $1,000. So there's a process that we go through to figure out how much these injuries actually cost you to your bottom line. So let me explain that a little bit more in, in a little bit more depth and detail, and it's a little bit confusing, so bear with me here. The first step that you have is to figure out the total cost of your injury. Again, what are your medical bills? What are your transportation to get that person to the urgent care or the, or the hospital? What's your loss of production? What's, you know, what's the administrative time that you have to investigate and document the accident and record the circumstances of the injury, clean up the mess? You know, all of those things are direct bottom line costs that you have for an injury. And depending on the dollar value that is there would depend on a specific multiplier that we use. Because you always have those basic costs, but then as your medical bills get higher and higher, maybe you have someone that has a broken arm instead of just three stitches, or you have someone that, you know, fell from a height and now they have, you know, some serious back or head injuries. So those medical treatment bills go up and up depending on the seriousness of the incident. So you have to figure all of those costs in and use that multiplier again, depending on what you do. Step two, and, and it's basically a three-step process, so bear with me here. From there, you have to calculate the, the cost on your bottom line. So you have to figure out what your profit margin is for your company. So if you calculate your total company's profit, you know, off your net earnings statement from the previous year and divide that number by your total sales, you generally get your profit margin. So whether it's 3%, 5%, 10%, whatever your profit margin is. We're going to use that number as well as the total cost multiplier to figure out the, the bottom line costs. So if you take your total injury costs and you follow a, a, a specific table, it'll tell you approximately how much in sales you would need in order to offset the cost of that injury. So for example, if our injury costs are $800 at the urgent care for the three stitches that you had, and using your multiplier, your total direct cost for your injury is considered to be $3,600. Now, because we use a multiplier of 4.5. Now, if our profit margin is 3%, then your company has to sell approximately $117,000 in service contracts or in widgets in order to offset just the cost for that injury. So, yes, it definitely affects your bottom line if you don't have a safety program because the littlest injury, $800 at an urgent care facility that your company might be able to absorb, is actually a lot in sales or service contracts that you have to produce just to offset that, not necessarily to make a profit for your company. Laurel, as a business consultant, I'm sure you also hear a lot of complaints from small businesses about uh, overregulation and OSHA. It seems to be the the, the whipping boy for uh, in, in political environments. And I realize this is just your opinion, but but given that you are a, a safety expert, do you believe that, that OSHA is seriously over-regulating or under-regulating or is pretty much on target? 
Well, honestly, because I care about the health and the safety of my employees and my fellow man, um, I want them to be able to go home at the end of the workday um, you know, with their two eyes, with their hearing intact, with all 10 fingers and all 10 toes, and, and no other injuries to their body. So OSHA has a definite place in the industry. And although there are a lot of complaints about how OSHA goes about doing things and the requirements that they make you meet for documentation and things like that, what they're trying to do is they're just trying to make sure that the companies do it right. So to answer your question, I don't think that they overregulate. I don't think they they're going overboard in many in many instances. There have been potential regulations in the past that have been uh, stamped down. Um, you know, an ergonomics regulation, for example, that's very difficult to police, and and it's very difficult for companies to put something like that in place when they only have you know three, five, ten, fifteen employees. If you're a company that has several hundred employees, that's a whole different story. So for the very small businesses, yeah, they still have to comply. And OSHA is not trying to make it onerous for you. They're just trying to, you know, to make sure that your employees can go home, you know, to their families and hug their kids at the end of the day. Fair enough. Uh, Can you work proactively with OSHA? In other words, I think the impression is that they come in after the fact, after an accident or something, and then start throwing fines around. Can you call them in when you're in the process of setting up your organization to to make sure that you're in compliance in a proactive way? Oh, absolutely. And you don't even need to wait until you're setting up a business at any time. Each state has its own OSHA outreach center. So if you don't want to pay a safety consultant to, you know, to come into your facility, you can call these OSHA outreach centers and they will come out just like they're going to do a, a, an actual inspection. They will do the inspection, but you don't get any citations or fines associated with it. Um, you do, however, have to fix, the, fix a problem if they find one. You know, unlike if you go to a safety consultant, then if they tell you, you know, you need an exit sign here, you don't necessarily have to put one there. However, you run the risk that if OSHA comes in and does an inspection of your facility, that you, you run the risk of, of having that, you know, $1,200, $4,800 fine for not having the exit sign. So, again, the, the fine level depends on the seriousness of the violation. It goes from anywhere between $200 to a quarter of a million dollars. So, uh, you know, the, the, average, the average fine for, for an OSHA comp- for an OSHA compliance audit, I would probably venture to guess it's somewhere around thirty or forty thousand dollars. Wow. Now most yeah. <laughs> most smaller companies uh, generally will have, you know, ten thousand, seven thousand dollars in fines. And the larger companies may have more than that because they have higher risks to their employees. So depends again on what you do, where your risks are, and how willing you are to to reach out to someone for assistance. And whether that's the OSHA Outreach Center or whether that's your local safety consultant, that's really up to you. How does OSHA measure success? Would Is it in live saved? and Do they have statistics and sh- to show what impact they've had over uh, since they've been, uh, since it was formed? What year was it formed? OSHA was formed in 1972 as an official organization. They had, you know, health and safety organizations before that, but OSHA officially came into uh, into being in 1972. But to, but to answer your initial question, things like the record-keeping standard. There are uh, letters that go out to different companies 
at the beginning of the year that says, okay, whether or not you have to comply with OSHA record keeping requirements for accidents and injuries, we want you to keep track of them in these specific ways on these specific forms and send us that, those forms. And that's how they know because of that, that compliance with that requirement, that's how they know how many injuries for different types of companies and different types of businesses there are. Or if you're an office, you can expect to see for a 10-person office this many injuries of this type. For a construction company that goes down into trenches or excavations, you know, that's of this number of employees, we can expect to see this type of injury, you know, and this number of them. So yes, there's a great deal of statistics that OSHA uses and relies on to figure out where they want to spend their resource dollars to go out to go out and do unscheduled inspections. The higher risk injury you are, the more likely you are to have an OSHA inspection done. Laurel, can you speak a little bit to the impact of uh, safety, OSHA, and your workers' compensation rates? Your workers' compensation rates are based on the number of injuries and the risk that you have. So if you have people that climb trees or people that work in an office or people that go into a trench or an excavation or people that work with highly hazardous chemicals, there are specific workers' compensation rates for each one of those employees based on, again, their risk that's applied to them. So your workers' compensation insurance is based on that. And then secondarily, your workers' compensation rates are based on the number of injuries or your experience modification rate or your your accident history, basically, for the last several years. So if you haven't had any injuries, then you're at a baseline of zero or one. If you've had 20 injuries, then you're probably at an experience modification rate of four or five, which means for the same company that does your type of business, you pay four or five times the amount that the company that doesn't have any injuries would pay. Laurel, how much does a, uh, a typical safety program cost a company? The first year of a program, which includes generally a written manual, your all of your initial safety trainings, because not all of your trainings are ones that have to be done every year. There are many, many of them that are only you know one-time trainings, and then if something changes, then you have to retrain. But the uh, the initial cost for the first year is probably somewhere around three to five thousand dollars, and then probably a maintenance fee of one to three thousand dollars after that for every year, depending on again, what your risks are. It may be less than that. It may be more than that. Laurel, is there anything uh, that we haven't talked about in the course of this discussion that you would like to bring forward? No, I'm, I, I love what I do. I, I do tr my best to try to help my clients with, with the requirements that they have to meet. And again, it's really all up to the clients in terms of what they want to do and how far they want to take this. Um, again, most small companies are family type of environments. You work with these people, you know, one third of your of, of your daily life, you know, five out of seven days a week. So you kind of feel feel like each other are friends or family, and you don't want to see anybody get hurt. And and that's the goal really of OSHA. That's my goal to make sure again that 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 nobody has to deal with that pain individually or as a family when someone that's in their family gets hurt. Well, Laurel, thank you for enlightening us today on OSHA and safety and being a guest on Been There, Done That. You are most welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Laurel. You've been listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. 
The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of SCORE. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.